0: Hi, welcome to the Anti-People-Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I'll be answering your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and all things relationship-related, submitted to me via Instagram. You can follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday, and you can also click the link in the show notes to take you straight there. So, babes, settle in, and let's begin. Our first question today comes from Liv and she asks, can you share some tips for learning to accept that your parents aren't that emotionally supportive? It feels quite isolating. Thank you for asking this question, Liv. It's really important to talk about codependency in all areas of our lives, not just the one that's kryptonite for most of us, that is our love lives. And thank you for entrusting me with this question. I really feel you. I remember how tough it was to go through rocky periods of individuation from my parents and have moments of realisation about the truth of our family dynamics. There is a Buddhist philosophy that says all suffering comes from attachment. So yes, this means attachment to material things and external validators like status, but it also means attachment to our emotions and emotional connections, looking a certain way and moving in a certain direction. To expand on that, in the context of your question, it means the attachment to your parents being emotionally supportive. Now, I also understand that this is a particularly hard concept to swallow when it comes to your parents. Because the parent-to-child relationship, I would say, is the only human-to-human relationship where there are correct, predefined, and largely agreed-upon presets that ideally should be adhered to. Based on the fact that your parents made the decision to bring you into this world, you did not ask to be born and that they hopefully should have at least been somewhat prepared for what a mammoth task it is to raise, love and provide for another human being. So I'd say that ideal preset for parenthood looks something like loving your child unconditionally and ensuring they know that they are loved keeping them safe from harm, allowing them to develop and blossom emotionally and showing them what it means to be emotionally present, guiding them with your best wisdom on how to deal with all the things that life is going to throw at them. Also being willing to teach them how to leave you and to let them go when the time is right, whilst also agreeing to be ever present in their lives as a guide, a mentor, shoulder to cry on, a friend and a soft place to land. Sadly, as many of us know, that is not the case with our parents and it probably even sounds a bit wild, that description that I just gave of this parenthood ideal, if that's not how you were brought up. But as we know that we cannot change another person, and as far as I'm aware time travel isn't a thing, we cannot make our parents be different people. We can only do what we can to change our dynamic with them if they're not willing to meet us halfway and do the work that they need to do to be different then we begin to experience pain from the attachment that our parents should be better or different so one of the most freeing things that you can do for yourself is getting to a place of radical acceptance around the fact that your parents are who they are they may never be as emotionally supportive as you want them to be or perhaps as they should have been and when you can radically accept that you can start to reframe your relationship with them as one where you don't need that from them. When you stop needing and expecting certain things from certain relationships, you can take away the emotional and energetic burden that it places on you whenever you are wishing something to be different than it is. If you feel very focused on wanting more from your parents than they are able to give, you are bound to feel lonely, isolated, out of place and disconnected. The exact same thing happens when we meet a romantic partner or a friend who is on a different page to us, when we want more from the situation than they are willing to or can give. And so we either let the relationship go or we find a way to reframe it if it's healthy and reasonable to keep that relationship in our lives. So this is exactly what you do with your relationship with your parents. If you wish to maintain a relationship with them, not everyone does, and that is also okay. Other adults earn their place in your life by the way that they treat you and not by way of shared genetic material. You decide to make peace with who they are and what they can offer and you let that be okay. Then you take all that extra love, emotion and energy that you have that has now been freed up because you are no longer carrying the emotional weight of expectation around your relationship with your parents and you direct it to everywhere else in your life where it is received, reciprocated, and requited. So that is to yourself, any other family you may have better relationships with, and your chosen family, that is your precious friends and loved ones. I think it's also wise to note that many people, because of the strong pull of familial dysfunction, generational patterns, and the stories their families told them about themselves, probably don't have great, close, or particularly healthy relationships with their families. But the price of admission to that family structure is acting as if everything is fine. In fact, I often work with people who are for the first time understanding the true dynamic that has been playing out amongst their family for their whole lives. So if there is an element of comparison creeping into your attachment to things being a certain way with your parents, I want to remind you of this reality that things are not always as they seem. And of course, how could you ever compare yourself or your situation to another person or family? Everything you have experienced up to this point brought you to where you are and made you who you are. And I know that there are people in your life who are wildly grateful for exactly who you are and the fact that you stand here today having been through everything that you have so that they could meet you and be a part of your life. So take comfort and joy in that, my lovely. Okay, switching gears a little bit here for our second question, which comes from Bella, who asked, what are some traits I can look for in a partner I can't tell a stud from a dud? Okay, I love this question because recovery can be hard and boring and trying, all more than worth it, of course, and the results outweigh the hard times by tenfold. Yet still, it can be a very testing process. But the answer to this question is actually quite a fun part of recovery, and that is getting super clear on what you want in a partner. I have a whole module on this in my recovery course, Lovingly Fierce, that my clients in my Wildly Worthy membership all work through, and I'm pretty sure it's one of their favourites. In the Discovering Your Values module in my recovery course, we get right into the nitty gritty about all the things that are important to us in all areas of our lives, including what we want from our romantic partnerships and the ideal characteristics of our potential romantic partners. Like we actually write lists, very high school pros and cons vibes. I know I told you it was fun. And this is an ongoing experiment. I get my clients to notice things that they like and don't like as they're going about their days. It might be things that they notice in themselves or something about a person they already know or even interactions that they witnessed out in the wild. It's useful to make it an experiment in observation like this because it's not always easy, especially as a codependent person, to come up with the things that you want and need and the things that are your turn offs without those external prompts and reminders. The reason we do this exercise and actually write it all down on paper or in our phones is so that we have a solid real-life reminder that we can keep referring to of the traits and characteristics that we value. That way, it becomes so much easier to ask yourself, is this person really a match for me? One of the common patterns of codependent people is to either not know anything about ourselves and what we want or need and or totally abandoning the few things that we do know we want and need, just to mould ourselves to whoever is in front of us right now. Because for codependent people, feeling wanted and needed is the most important thing to us. So with chameleon-like powers, we can drop or adopt whatever we need to, to make this person the right person. So I'm going to share with you here a condensed version of my discovering your values exercise that you can start today. And I mentioned writing these things down in your phone. It's great to have an easy to access list that you can add to or change up as you spot, realize or remember different things. And you're in luck because I have my phone right here. Do you want to hear mine? Of course you do. Okay, so I'm going to read out my lists because... I think it can be really helpful to have an idea of what to include on your lists and just to give you a little bit of inspiration. And also, right, it's just super fun. Of course, you want to hear someone else's list. So I have three lists around what I want from a partner and they are must-haves, nice-to-haves and red flags, or hard nose, absolute nose. okay? So, on my must-haves list, and this is the biggest list, the other two are reasonably small in comparison. Confident and self-assured, openly affectionate, loves dogs, progressive politics, feminist, anti-racist, LGBTQ ally, not a Tory, good sense of style, uh, they need to have their own passions and career, uh, no children or older children, not a heavy drinker or drug user, um, quick-witted with a silly sense of humour, someone who laughs easily and enthusiastically. i oh, not going to read that one out. Verbally expressive and affectionate, likes to kiss and cuddle, likes PDAs, also needs to be a good kisser. Uh, loyal, not easily distracted, no history of cheating. Uh, they need to live alone or have their own place. They need to be a good communicator, someone who is direct, honest and kind. They need to be emotionally available and want a relationship. I also need someone who wants to be monogamous and someone who has the time to see me and is consistent with communication and spending time together. Also really want someone who likes nights out and is good fun. Someone who can and will dance. Someone who is not bougie, who's willing to rough it and be resourceful and go off the beaten path. And they also need to like outdoor pursuits. Next, we have my nice to have list, which is things that are not deal breakers for me in any way. They're very negotiable. But if a person also happens to have these things going on, that's a very cool bonus. So for guys, they should be tall, six foot two or above, ideally Um, I really like piercings and tattoos it would be really nice if they were open to moving abroad or spending half of our time abroad in the future it would be really cool if they were creative in some way if they're sober I'm not sober but I really like sober people I really like their whole vibe so that would be a bonus for me that would be cool but it's not necessary someone who keeps fit works out or is active in some way And also, someone who is potentially open to adopting kids. And my red flags, hard nose, absolute nose, as in if I sense this or get confirmation of any of these, even in the very early stages of talking to somebody, I know it's just not going to work out. And so, there's really no point me continuing this connection and wasting both of our time, quite frankly, because these are things that are gonna just rob so much for me going forward that it won't work out. I may as well settle both free back into the wild and look for someone who is a better match than me. And is that hard to do sometimes? I mean, obviously some of these that I'm going to read out are real like glaringly obvious hard no's, but some of them might feel a little bit harsh. And yes, it can be hard to let go of a person who ticks a lot of my boxes from the other lists, but I just know that ultimately, if you're hitting some of these points, it's not going to be for me. So red flags, hard nose, absolute nose. Um, Someone who is a drug user or a heavy drinker, someone who invalidates my feelings, someone whose style of banter is put downs or somebody who thinks put downs are banter. Someone who is avoidant, can't communicate, or is evasive. And I want to expand on that one. That specifically also goes for people who can't respond properly and fully in text communication or are avoidant around setting dates and making plans and that kind of thing. And that's usually something that shows up really, really soon. That's probably not going to change in a person and also just drives me fucking wild. So no, sorry, that is a hot no for me. Someone who doesn't want a relationship. If they are inconsistent, inconsistent with their communication style, again, or with making plans. Someone who has right-wing politics or is unmovingly apolitical. If they're insecure, if they have outdated gender values, if they don't like dogs. Again, I just know that's never going to work. I love dogs so much. Dogs will always be a part of my life. Someone who hasn't done any introspective work someone who is snobby, bougie, or materialistic, and for me personally, someone who has young children. So of course, these lists are subject to change depending on my experiences and how I develop and change as a person, and even how I age. Some of those things might just change as I get older and my feelings about certain things change and develop but they are not subject to changing based on me meeting a person that I want so much that I am willing to bend and break my own rules for. Otherwise, I may as well abandon the lists altogether and make my name on my dating apps whatever you want it to be. And a couple more tips for you on this one, Bella. As always, slow down. It's all well and good knowing all these traits that you desire. But the one thing that will sabotage you more than anything when trying to tell the difference between a stud and a dud is speed. You must take your time to really get to know a person. Know what your boundaries and limits are going to be around how fast things move, including specific aspects of the relationship, like getting physically intimate, moving from out in the world dates to home dates or going away together or meeting each other's friends and family. And of course, don't be afraid to ask the right questions early on when you're dating someone. Some of this stuff you are only going to find out by starting that conversation. And so you have to avoid the codependent desire to fill in the blanks for your date. Instead, give them the space and autonomy to be who they really are and show you who they really are. So you have some homework to be getting on with my lovely. Those things should at least get you on your way to meeting people you can be sure sit closer to the stud end of the spectrum. Our final question today is from Rose, who says, I'm dating again and trying to do all the right things around taking it slow and keeping my own life busy with friends and things I enjoy. But one of the things I'm really struggling with, and it's hard for me to admit this, but I was totally addicted to the drama of my past relationship this new guy I'm seeing is calm and steady and no drama. There's no love bombing, none of the ups and downs, but I feel like I'm getting bored. So I suppose my question is, is there anything you can do to reprogram your brain? Some way to learn to enjoy the calm and peace? Or is it just time? I keep second guessing myself and wondering if I'm maybe not that into him. Thank you for this question, Rose. I know it's going to be so helpful for lots of other codependent babes out there who are also getting back out into the dating world. It's certainly a common experience that I hear from my clients that a relatively healthy relationship can feel boring in comparison to the drama that we've had before. So I wanted to answer this question specifically after the last one because they are linked. Everything I described in my answer to Bella will also be really useful for you, Rose, If you haven't already done it, get your notepad and pen out and start writing your lists. Getting clarity on whether this person actually matches up with what you want from a partner or if they were just the first person that was nice to you on the other side of a toxic relationship is key. On this note, I'd be interested to know how long you've been in recovery and how long you were single for between your toxic relationship ending and this healthier one starting up. Time alone really helps us to identify and validate our own feelings more quickly and effectively. And I just want to throw in an important sidebar here. When we get into recovery, particularly if we've been into any version of the spiritual world and we've heard the word manifesting before, we can be tempted to think that a person, usually the first person, that appears to us on the other side of starting to do the work or perhaps coming out of a bad relationship is our reward for doing the hard thing. Let me tell you now that they are not. Even if the first relationship you have on the other side of starting recovery work does happen to be your forever person or at least a fantastic committed relationship, that is a coincidence and phenomenal good luck. People, human beings, are not the toy in a Happy Meal or a box of cereal. They are not your kinder surprise. Please stop thinking of them as your reward. On that same note, when you know that whole other human beings are not your reward for good behaviour, it also releases you from the idea that if it doesn't work out, or they turn out to be not quite who you thought they were, that you are somehow being tested or punished for not recovering fast enough or well enough. Okay, sidebar over. So let's say that you have your lists, your must-haves, your nice-to-haves, and your absolute no's. Awesome. Now you can compare and contrast how many of your ideals and nice-to-haves your partner actually ticks off for you. Of course, you must try to be aware of creating these lists, not with your current partner in mind. They must be entities independent of your relationship, driven by your desires, experiences, and self-awareness. So you're going to have to be super honest with yourself about what you do want and what does work for you. It may be that you discover through this process that your current partner ticks some of your boxes, but not enough for this to be a fulfilling relationship for you, and that's okay. Sometimes someone can tick 90% of the boxes, but that 10% carries so much weight and importance that it's going to be a no. Sometimes people are great on paper or in the notes app, but you just don't feel it with them in real life. Listen to episode six for more on this. And that, of course, is ultimately what will make or break the deal here. It's okay to let go of someone who is good, who is great, in fact, but it's just not a match for you. Someone who you'd love to be besties with, but for whatever reason, just doesn't light your fire in that way. It may be that what you are missing from this particular relationship is excitement or spontaneity or a sense of fun or lightheartedness. And that is also okay. Excitement and spontaneity are lovely things to have and want in a relationship. And I think the dating phase should feel a bit exciting. But excitement and spontaneity are distinctly different from anxiety, drama, and chaos, which I'm going to guess is more like what you're used to. It may be that right now you're struggling to identify the difference between anxiety and excitement, or it may be that you're just not that excited. So, once again, slow down try to sit with how you're feeling, maybe journal it out. You can't write as fast as you can think, so it's going to help you get some clarity around what it is that you're feeling, and perhaps more importantly, what you aren't feeling. Yes, the consistency, stability, and security of real love will at first feel somewhat boring to a formerly addicted mind, but in time you will grow accustomed to stability and find even the idea of drama and the emotional roller coaster tedious and tiring. It will become something that repels instead of attracts you. I can tell you this from my own experience and that of many of my clients and friends who have been in recovery for a while. A great analogy to help you normalise this feeling of stability in your life is to think of it like your foundations or like the ground that you walk on. When that is stable and pretty smooth, you can do so much more you have tons more energy to live a more interesting and well-rounded life. Whereas when you're constantly battling huge hills and valleys, unexpected twists and turns, you are expending all your energy just trying to stay upright and stay on track. You have nothing left for the fullness of life, not to mention rest, relaxation and recuperation. Are you doing that by the way? Just checking in. Also, as you mentioned in your question, some of this will be a time factor for sure. You're adjusting from a whole lifetime of being addicted to drama to finally becoming more regulated in your emotional functioning and in your nervous system. It is going to take a while, maybe a few months or years for you to fully settle into this new way of being and be comfortable and happy with consistency and steadiness. So I think you have plenty of avenues to explore here to help you get clarity on what you're feeling and what, if anything, is missing for you take your time with it and trust yourself to make the right decision. Self-trust is a huge part of effective recovery from codependency. Okay, my loves, we are all done for today. And I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open now. For less than £50 a month, you can get access to a weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to, or follow the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. Until next time. useful to make it an experiment in observation like this because it's not always easy especially as a codependent person to come up with the things that you want and need and the things that are your turn-offs like burping into a microphone (laughs) to come up with the things that (laughs) for fuck's sake to come up with the things that you want and need that are the things that are your turn up. Mm. Fuck me.